0: Good morning. My name is Jubilee. Today's reading comes from the Acts chapter 1, verses 42 through 47. Please follow along in your own Bibles or simply listen as the scriptures are read. Again, that's Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 42. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. Parents and guardians of children in preschool and kindergarten, you're invited to escort your kids to the front of the room to join Kids Rock Outside. As you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to
1: God. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good to see you guys here this morning. Uh, My name is Matt, I'm the pastor here at, I'm the pastor here at, I'm not going to say it right now, I can't just say it right off the bat, I got to build to it, so we're going to build to it this morning, because a ton of thought and a ton of prayer and discussion has gone into this moment. Thank you for so many of you for being here throughout these years um, and being part of this journey with us. This whole process of thinking about our new name has given us the opportunity to ask a lot of big questions about who we are, namely, why church? Like, why church? Out of all the things we can invest our time in, all the things we can do, all the things we can experience, why this? Why church? As we ask that question this morning, I want to invite you to pause with me for a moment to ready our hearts to receive what the Lord has for us today. Lord, we come to you, um, present ourselves before you, knowing that you are present here with us. We are so thankful that you are here in this place. We acknowledge this morning, Lord, that we are your people and that you are our God and we find our hope in you. Meet us here, speak to us, teach us, show us your ways. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I've had some practice naming things. Not only have I successfully been part of naming three human beings, When I was younger, I had the opportunity to name many, many cats. When I was in high school, we moved to the country, and we brought a few cats with us, and the cats multiplied, and pretty soon, cats were everywhere. We were naming a new batch of kittens every six months at our house. At one point, there were 17 that I could count in one space. One batch of cats, I was inspired by famous American authors, so we ended up naming a feline Hemingway and Solinger and Fitzgerald. One time, I named the cats Jank and Slurve. They were adorable little kittens, Jank and Slurve. They didn't make it very long for some reason, but they didn't. Um, one cat was born with only three legs instead of four legs, probably because all the cats were interrelated with each other, and we named him Tripod, which, <laughs> Tripod, rest in peace, little buddy. Actually, Tripod did all right. He made it longer than many of his brothers and sisters and cousins and second and third cousins down the road, which is why we eventually stopped naming the cats. Some of them didn't actually survive long enough for us to get around to it. Some disappeared in the woods. Some met rather tragic ends, which is a story for another time. It was a precarious existence at our house for these cats. And you don't want to name something And get all attached to it until you know that it's going to be around for a while, until it's going to stick there. Well, unlike my cats, we have survived as a church for a little while. We are sticking around, it seems like. So um, I'm not sure what four years in church plant life is relative to human life, but there's got to be some kind of multiplier in there, right? So one year in church plant years is at least like five years in human years, right? So four times five is 20, Okay. Up until this point we have been Hyrock High Hyrock. The name of the church network that birthed us and that supported us in our infancy, Hyrock was kind of like a last name, a name that we inherited from our family of origin. Today, we get to adopt a new name, a chosen name. And this process, as I've said, has been pretty incredible. Many people have been involved. Many names have been considered. As Katie suggested, many ideas I tossed out kind of just withered on the vine until they fell off onto the ground and returned to the dust from whence they came. But I want to assure you, we're not just eeny, meeny, miny, mowing our way to a name. We're asking those questions. Who are we, and why are we here, and what is our purpose, and why church? Why this church? Why this church? church in this moment, in this space, in this time. To answer that question this morning, why church, I want to go back to the beginning, to the Garden of Eden, to Adam and Eve, and to what went wrong, and to how it can be made right. In his recent book, From Isolation to Community, Miles Wernst explains it this way. In the beginning, in the garden, people were meant to depend on God. They were made by God and brought together by God, and they needed God for everything, including their interactions and connections with each other. They were also meant to be responsible to each other and for each other, to take care of one another and the world around them as co-sharers and co-laborers and partners in this life. And third, they were designed to flourish within their creaturely limits. They were not God. They were human beings. They There were boundaries for them to live with, and there were rules for them to follow. But these two humans rejected all of those intentions. They decided they didn't want to depend on God. They didn't want to be responsible for each other. They wanted to be independent. They didn't want to live within their limits or follow any rules. They wanted to be unlimited, and they wanted to be free. They chose themselves, and God gave them what they wanted. But independence and freedom and self-reliance didn't turn out to be as wonderful as they hoped. So instead of feeling liberated, they felt ashamed. Instead of cooperating, they began to compete, to blame each other. Instead of trusting God, they hid when they heard God's voice in the garden. Paradise lost. And the end result of their sin, the fundamental human problem, Werns argues, is isolation. We are isolated and when you're isolated you're not just separated from someone else you're separated from everyone else you are alone by yourself there's a giant gap a distance between you and every other person between you and god and and i think even between you and your own self internally there's isolation built in to our humanness and our isolation is painful it is so painful. The story of, humana- of humanity is the story of our endless attempts to overcome this isolation. We basically have two major survival strategies, two main ways that we try to overcome the pain of our isolation. The first way is we just go it alone. And the second way is we join the crowd. Going it alone is when we choose strength. We basically embrace our independence. We're isolated, so be it. I'll embrace that isolation. We put on our armor and we fight. We decide we don't really need anyone else for very much of anything. We build a tower, a fortress, and we surround ourselves with it so that we can't get hurt. We decide to do everything on our own. And we're happy to feed into this everyone-for-themselves posture, aren't we? Every company out there is trying to bring every human interaction to people in their private towers experiences, education, intimacy, commerce, so that people can consume whatever they want, whenever they want it, so that they can live their lives on their own, independent. Sometimes the church can reinforce this pattern. Church can be a place to get a personal experience, a place to learn something, to get something to benefit you. Like tech companies, we've packaged church to be consumed by the individual whenever and wherever they want. You can listen to a sermon in your bed or in your car or walking your dog, and you're often doing this on your own. In fact, the the degree to which it was easy for church to go online without losing very much in the process is probably the degree to which we were already treating church as something for each individual person to consume and experience on their own. I mean, it's mostly the same, right? Maybe church is even better on my own. I can skip the songs I don't like. No one makes eye contact with me. No one awkwardly tries to talk to me. No one expects anything of me. I'm independent. That's the first way we fight our isolation and the pain of it, independence. The other way we fight isolation is with strength in numbers. We join the crowd. We join a team. We join a group. We join a political party. We join a family, a club, a cause. And being part of that group can definitely make us feel less lonely. But does it heal our isolation? Imagine with me that you're perhaps at a concert or maybe a sporting event. You're surrounded by other people who are all cheering for the same thing. I was in Bush Stadium when the St. Louis Cardinals won the World Series in 2006, We all jumped and we all screamed. I was hugging and high-fiving people that I didn't even know. It was like we were all friends in that moment, but I didn't really know them. We all liked the same thing in the same place. We were all moving in the same direction for a hot second, but then the game ended and we all went home. And while it felt good to be part of the crowd, my presence in that crowd didn't actually matter very much. The game, the celebration, or the potential heartache was gonna happen whether I was there or not. So I know it sounds weird, but for that exact reason, a crowd is actually a really good place to hide. There are so many people that no one really notices you. You're there, but you're kind of invisible. Sometimes that's why we join the crowd, to be around other people, but still sort of remain invisible, anonymous. It makes us feel better, but it doesn't actually help us get better. The crowd doesn't really heal our isolation. We can be lonely even when we're together. Sometimes church can be like this. We create experiences for people to enjoy, and we steer clear of anything that might push them away. Often a charismatic, gifted leader has the personality or the vision to bind thousands of people together in a group, to get everyone in the same place doing the same thing thing but joining the crowd doesn't solve our isolation problems the songs will wash over you whether you participate in them or not the sermon will happen whether you're there to hear it or not in the crowd nothing is expected of you in the crowd nothing is required of you in the crowd you're next to others but you're not really connected to them not known you can enter and you can leave without anyone really noticing The moment ends, and everyone goes home. Now, I do want to pause here and say that the crowd can be the starting place for deep connection and community. Some of the people that followed Jesus were originally part of a crowd, right? But they didn't stay in the crowd. They came out. They were called out and chosen to be disciples. You can't really follow Jesus if you're hiding in the crowd. You have to come out. But with that caveat aside, I think despite our best efforts, and sometimes even within our churches, we are stuck with our original problem. We are still isolated. And it's not solved with personal strength. And it's not solved by pretending we don't need other people. It's not solved by surrounding ourselves with other people and hoping that satisfies us. It's not solved by us at all. It's something that God does. Instead of leaving us alone, God became flesh and lived among us. And Colossians tells us that God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Jesus was God and Jesus was one of us. So the distance between us that we created was closed in the person of Christ. And scripture says that through him, God reconciled, God restored, God healed, God brought together everything to himself. He made peace everything in heaven and on earth why church because the church is not merely people gathering together it's not built on commonalities or affinities or because we all like the same style of music it's not built on a charismatic leader or a common cause the church is the body of christ the church is christ existing as community in the world Last Easter, Easter, Rachel made this patchwork quilt that's on the stage behind me. All the individual pieces were donated by members of this church, by participants here in this community. We are all distinct pieces, yet we are all knit together as one. We are many parts of one body, and we each all belong to each other. And the thread that unites us and binds us is the Holy Spirit. And when you look at the whole thing together, As one piece, the whole thing looks like Christ. The body of Christ, present and existing in the world, is the church. There's nothing else in the world like the body of Christ. We're not a school. We're not a stadium. We're not an arena. We're not a neighborhood or a city or a nation. We are the body of Christ, and the Spirit of God moves among us. And our purpose is to be what God uses to heal humanity's isolation. So what difference does this make to a community? It means that in the body of Christ, when you're talking to someone, Christ is there too. You're members of God's family being built together as a holy dwelling where God lives among us by his spirit. The conversations you have during soul food have spiritual weight to them. It means that we can bear each other's burdens in a special way with Christ's help. It means that our love isn't selfish but sacrificial, and it means that we will know each other in eternity. There's nothing on earth like the church, a patchwork people with frayed edges and room for more. In the passage that Jubilee read for us earlier, we see sort of a snapshot of what the patchwork community looked like among the first believers. They were alive in Christ Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to being together in genuine and transparent relationships. They ate together, they prayed together, they met in homes, and they met in public places. And drawn together by Christ, we are part of that same body. We are a continuation, and expression of that first church. And it was with this spirit in mind that we stumbled our way forwards to try to find a new name. Verse 44. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. In most New England towns, the commons refers to a central area in a community. There's Boston Common, which you might all be familiar with. There's also a common just a mile down the road in Bradford. They're all over the place in New England. The point of the commons is that the resources in the commons are shared. No one can own anything in the commons. The water, the air, the soil, soil, it's all available to all. So people gather there, all different kinds of people. The commons is a place of rest, a place to celebrate, a place to connect, a place to grow. Over the last four years, I've seen this church embody those characteristics. And of all the names that we considered, and we considered a lot of them, I promise, the one that fits us the best, the one that captures who we are for each other and for our communities, I believe, is the commons. So we are going to be called... Haverhill Commons Covenant Church. And the resources we have as the body of Christ are available to all. There are so many potential layers of meaning to the commons, and there's so much room for us to grow into it and become the body of Christ in this time and in this place and in this community. But today I just want to highlight a few ideas about what it means to be Haverhill Commons Church. First, the commons is open to all people. You know, God didn't set the church like over here, With strong walls of protection and clear lines of separation, God actually sets the church right in the middle of the world, in the common spaces. The church is entangled and enmeshed and engulfed and embedded in everyone else. The first church met in the temple courts, which was their version of the common spaces. In fact, the Greek word for church, ecclesia, didn't mean church, it just meant gathering. And that's what it means to be part of the commons. It's a place to gather where all can be present to the messy isolation that we each struggle with. If you walk down the street over to GAR Park, you won't see any fences around it. All can enter in. One of our core values is hospitality. We want to remove barriers so that all people can experience Jesus. And I want us to be a place where it is clear. From the signs we have out front to the greeters at the front door to the folks you meet inside to the words that we speak from the front to the donuts and bagels we serve out back to this community is open to all. Look at the disciples. It's a crazy assortment of people if you really think about it. What could possibly bind a tax collector with a Jewish zealot? They should hate each other. What could possibly bind small-time fishermen with big-time fishermen? They should hate each other. Jesus bound them together. Jesus did that. And I want us to be as open to people as Jesus is. The commons is open to all. Next, in the commons, resources are shared. All the resources are shared. The first Christians shared everything they had in common. Whatever resources we have, we have them so that we can share them. Everyone gets what they need, and the resources of Christ are unlimited. One of our core values here is solidarity. So we share each other's burdens, and we put love into action, we say. That's why we created Book Buddies, why we support Larsh. It's why we help foster families and why we give $100 gift gift cards to kids who are impacted by foster care every year. It's why we support local organizations like Pose for Black History Month and why we show up to Juneteenth celebrations. We will keep doing those things and more because that's what it means to be in the commons and to share what we have. One more thing this morning. In the commons, everyone matters. Everyone matters. No one's on their own. No one's an anonymous face in the crowd. In the commons, we need each person, and each person matters. Jesus tells us to love our neighbor and to love our enemies. This means not only welcoming neighbors and enemies, it also means something different. It means trusting that God will use neighbors and enemies to do God's work in me. That they have something to offer me. You know, I might gravitate to someone who I see as smart or successful or affluent or attractive, but God wants to creatively expand my assumptions about what I can, about who I can learn from and who I can receive from. Everyone is valuable and all the gifts are needed. To be the commons means to receive and to accept the gifts, gifts that everyone has to offer. One of the reasons that we're always trying to eat together, (laughs) we're always trying to eat together. One of the reasons we try to eat together, whether it's soul food or in our hubs or at backbeat bonfires, is because when we eat, we're taking something that we need from outside of our bodies into our bodies. Something that was prepared and provided by someone else. We didn't create and originate that food, but somebody did something with it. It was created and made and given to us to consume. It's a breaking of bread. That echoes what happens in communion. When we celebrate communion, we're receiving Christ's body. We're taking into ourselves life that was provided for us by God. Our lives depend on what is shared with us. Acts 2.46, and the sharing is done with glad and sincere hearts. That's the attitude that we do the sharing. It's not to impress anyone. It's not to control anyone with our sharing. In Christ, we give because we love and we give out of joy. So when Peter sings and Susan and Solomon play, it's not performance and it's not to earn praise. It's to cultivate praise in us. Chrissy preached last month not to earn favor with God or to prop herself up, but because her gifts meet our needs. Summer stands by the front door with a warm smile and a genuine hello because it meets a need. Jacob welcomes every kid he sees in Kids Rock because it meets a need. Megan Mancuso delivers meals to people because it meets a need. In the body of Christ, everyone matters. And I feel it. It matters when Ellie runs up to me and hugs me and calls me a strong watermelon. (laughs) Which is such an inside joke that I don't even understand what it means. It matters when Gary texts me encouragement after a sermon. It matters when Ben asks me how I'm really doing. It matters when Athena gives me a note after church that says she loves being here. It matters when we sing together. When we sing, it matters that I hear your voice alongside of mine. When we receive God's word, it matters that we receive it together. When we pass the peace of Christ to each other, we're not only being friendly, we're proclaiming that Christ's wholeness is real and available to us. We're proclaiming forgiveness. And we receive these words from each other. And I can't do that online. And that doesn't happen in a crowd. It happens in Christ's community where broken creation is healed and isolated people come home. There's so much more that I could say and so so many more layers that have gone into this for us, but I'll stop there for this morning. I'm so thankful to be part of this with you, to be part of Christ with you. Of course, we are not doing this perfectly. Just as we stumbled our way to a name, we will stumble our way forward as a church, a messy patchwork community with frayed edges and unmatched, misshaped shapes. We still combat isolation. We will sometimes still feel lonely. But Christ is among us, and we are his body. And as he draws all to himself, we are drawn closer to each other in the process. In him, God is reconciling all things in heaven and on earth. That, friends, is why, church. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are with us, that you came to us as one of us, that you have overcome our isolation. You have overcome our stubborn strength to try to do it on our own. And you have overcome our hiding, our desire to disappear into the crowd and avoid detection. You have overcome all of that in order to bring us into intimacy and union and connection with you and with each other. So this morning, Jesus, as we become this new thing, as we rename ourselves the Commons Church, bind us together, make us one people in your name. For anyone who feels their isolation particularly, for anyone who feels lonely. May they encounter you here in this place among your people. May we be your body. May we be your presence in this world. It's by your strength and grace we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.